0: The Pre-Med Years, session number 240. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. As I said in the beginning, my name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here for today. I host the Pre-Med Years, I host the MCAT Podcast, the Specialty Stories Podcast, and the Old Pre-Meds Podcast. So if this is your first time hearing me and hearing this podcast, go check out everything that we have to offer at mededmedia.com. Today I have a great, a fun podcast where I did a Facebook Live with a brand new setup that I have. I'm planning on doing a lot of Facebook Lives, a lot of uh, streaming onto YouTube Live as well. I have a brand new setup with different cameras and I can show my iPad and iPhone to do some app reviews and other things. And so I jumped on Facebook Live and got a ton of great questions from students that were interacting with me. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. Before you dive in, if you are in the market for MCAT prep material, this podcast, I want to say, is sponsored by Next Step Test Prep. Next Step Test Prep, I've been working with them, um, collaborating with them for several years now. And I've yet to hear one negative thing from a student that has gone to them and said, you know what, their tutors were terrible, their materials, materials were terrible. I hear that a lot from the other companies. And so Next Step, they're known for their one-on-one tutoring. Which is expensive. It's well worth the investment, but it is expensive. It's comparable to doing a full course through any of the other big companies, um, but you get one on one tutoring. So it's very much worth it if you need it. Their newest product, the MCAT class or MCAT course, is a do it yourself kind of self paced course that includes all 10 of their MCAT full lengths. It includes all of the double AMC material. It includes tons of hours, over a hundred hours of videos for you to learn the content better. And it includes what puts it over the top. It includes five live office hours every week with top instructors from Next Step. And it's cheap. It's I mean it's still expensive, but it's much cheaper than what Kaplan, what Princeton Review have to offer for something that isn't even comparable as far as what you get for the price. Go check out nextstepmcat.com. Use the promo code MSHQ to save some money, whether you buy the course, whether you buy tutoring, whether you buy the practice test, MSHQ works for it all. All right, so let's go ahead and dive right in to this pre-med Q&A. All right. So one of the first questions that came in is taking the MCAT in September, or writing it—I think—is the student wrote so the, the the Canadian way of saying taking the MCAT uh, is taking the MCAT in September too late. Uh, if you are applying this year, then the answer is yes. Taking the MCAT in September is too late. Now. Never say never. There are some people, and I think Tony in the group, who's at Nova now, uh, I think Tony is one that took it in September. He wouldn't recommend taking it in September, but he took it in September and obviously is in medical school now. But the recommendation is don't take it in September, because if you take it in September, your scores come back a month later. When those scores come back a month later, you're into October. Now, if you look at schools, and this is where most students fall into a trap, is they look at the schools and they look at the MSR, they look at the college information book, and they go, oh, the the deadline for applying is... October 31st. It's usually around there for for a lot of schools. October 31st, mid November, somewhere around there. And they go, oh, "Okay, if I take it in September, my scores come back by October, before the deadline, I'm good." The problem with that thinking is you forget that the application process is a rolling admissions process. So If you start off with five seats to medical school, we'll make it easy. You start off with five seats to medical school in June when you submit. Come August, there's only four seats. Come September, there's only three seats. Come October, there's only two seats. And because it's a rolling admissions process, every day that you delay, submitting your primary, submitting your secondaries, having your application complete is a delay in your application and it is a reduced chance at getting into medical school because those seats are taken. Does that make sense? I like to call it a giant game of musical chairs. And most students don't think about that when they are, applying and going through the whole application process that you think about applying to undergrad, which isn't an, a rolling admissions process. And you go, Oh, as long as my applications are in by the deadline, I'll be okay. And that's just not the case for the medical school admissions process. So that is the answer to that, Mero Merdochi. Mer- I have no idea how to say your name. I apologize. So that's a great question. Uh, and so is it too late? Uh, technically, no, but ideally, yes, it is too late because you want your application complete as soon as possible. So I don't recommend typically taking it later than mid-July. Ideally, March or April. Ideally, March or April, you're taking the MCAT, but no later than July. There's one asterisk on this, though. You have to remember that when you're taking the MCAT, you're taking one of the hardest tests, if not the hardest test of your life. And if you don't listen to the MCAT podcast yet, you should, that it should hopefully help you on your journey into medical school and, and completing the MCAT. The MCAT is a beast and you need to be ready for it. So don't take the MCAT just because Dr. Gray told you you should take it in March or April. Dr. Gray told you you shouldn't take it any later than July. The last thing I want you to do is rush your application. That's the last thing I want you to do. I don't want you to rush your application. So you need to be prepared for the application as best as possible, or for the MCAT, as best as possible. That means doing lots of practice tests, that means going through all of the content and making sure that you're understanding things and you're not just reading all of the books i have no, you can't see them i i have a lot of books back there um with a sign on it that says respect the mcat uh so you 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 have to actually let me see if i can if we can play this game, I don't know if we can or not. Anyway, um, y- you have to be prepared to to take the test and take it well. Don't just rush it. All right. I hope that answers that question, Suzanne. I have been volunteering in Isla- in an Islamic organization for more than four years. How can students talk or write about religion involvement, or should we focus more on just shadowing clinical experiences? I think it's perfectly fine to talk about religious organizations and what you are doing, especially in today's climate, especially um, being Muslim. Uh, I think it's a great discussion around uh, what's going on in the world. I think you can frame it in a certain way that. Um, bring some education to some people, I think. I, I don't think religion is something to shy away from in an application. I've seen plenty of students writing about their their religious affiliations and volunteering in churches and those sorts of things. So I don't find um, that those uh, types of discussions are bad. Uh, the, the follow-up question to this is, should you focus more on just shadow and clinical experiences? And they, that answer is no. The application, when you have those 15 characters or 15 spots for writing about your experiences, so all of your extracurricular activities, you have 15 spots typically in, in the AMCAS and ACOMAS application. On the Texas application, you get 5 million spots the those 15 spots are your opportunity to help the admissions committee see how you can fit into the next class that they are trying to put together and if you focus just on clinical experiences and volunteering then you are failing at showing them how well-rounded you are. So make sure that you are doing a good job of showing extracurricular activities that don't involve clinical experience, that don't involve shadowing, that don't involve anything medically related. I highly, highly, highly recommend putting on um uh putting on things about your hobbies and and cooking and s- sports involvement and anything else that you can think about. If you love travel, put travel as an extracurricular and talk about um everything else that you can uh that you can talk about in that world. So don't just focus on the the clinical side, the medicine side. It's it's not necessary and is um, can be something that holds you back. Because again, they're trying to paint that picture. You're trying to paint the picture for them of how you're gonna fit into the class. All right, so this next question from Aaron is a much improved MCAT score enough to constitute growth and improvement between application cycles? Or would I need to show growth and improvement in multiple areas, such as shadowing and volunteering? Now, Aaron, it's a hard question to answer because the question really comes down to why didn't you get into medical school the first time? And so, Aaron, for you, I would ask did you have any interviews? And that's always a big determinant for me. If you apply to medical school and you received interviews, then there's a good chance your MCAT score was good enough. Now, at the end of the day, after all of the interviews, the, the interview dust has settled and you don't get an acceptance, it could be the MCAT score that held you back after an interview. But if you got that initial interview, then there's a good chance your score was good enough. So there are, if you haven't, Aaron, if you haven't yet listened to medicalschoolhq.net slash 171. Let me double check that. So 171. Uh, I believe, is an interview that I did with the former dean of admissions at UC Irvine, and we talked all about re-applicants and what a re-applicant should do to improve his or her application, and it it is uh, episode 171. And so if you haven't listened to that one yet, Aaron, I highly, highly recommend you do. Um, It's a great... Uh, episode to to highlight what students are doing wrong on that transition from the first application to the second application, and so really make sure that you understand your application inside it out. What is it that admissions committees did or did not like? What is it about? Um, your scores. Was there something weird with your stats? M. Um, uh, MCAT wise, GPA wise, um, were you lacking in clinical experience? Were you lacking in shadowing experience? There are so many things that go into the application that that just answering the question about is an improved MCAT score enough? I don't know. Is is the answer? It's it's uh, it's not the best answer. Uh, I know, but there, there's just, it's too much to, to know one way or the other. All right, Ryan is asking, I just took my personal statement to the university's writing center and the lady there said it was one of the better drafts she's read, but she says it can be that much better, but that it may take another week or two. What are your thoughts on the cost benefit of taking this long? So it is as we're recording this late June you need to get your application in sooner rather than later. I think a couple weeks is okay depending on what the what the personal statement looks like. Again this is this is one of those I don't I don't know, right? I don't know who this person is that reviewed your Reviewed your personal statement. I don't know what her experience is with medical school applications, medical school personal statements, or is she just a general um, essay reviewer kind of person? Personal statements are hard. Uh, bad ones are bad, and and good ones are good. Uh, if she's saying it's good, it, it it really comes down to to what you think. Whenever I'm done editing a personal statement. I ask the student, what do you think? Are you, are you comfortable with this? Do you have any reservations about it? And so I would, I would ask that to you, Ryan, is, is what reservations do you have on your personal statement? Is there something that still is not, is there something in there that you think is not explaining yourself well enough on why you are going down this path to medicine, to being a physician. So I would look into, into that. And so Ryan is saying, yeah, she has experience with personal statements, but not necessarily medical school. So that's, that's the hard thing. A medical school personal statement is unlike a lot of other personal statements because you need to explain the why medicine so much. It's, it's very important. So it's hard. Hannah Brown, uh, I noticed that you were hoping to speak at the AMSA Premed Fest. Yes, I am. So it's November 4th at USF. It's actually the 4th and 5th for students. Um, the 5th is actually, if they're doing it the same as last year, the 5th is going to be, um, you typically do that at the medical school, at USF's medical school, which is awesome. So check that out. It's uh, premedfest.com or amsapremedfest.com. Again, November 4th and 5th, I will be there on the 4th, which is the the part for exhibitors and and speakers like me. Uh, I'm hopefully speaking this year, um, but Hannah's asking, do you recommend for an undergrad sophomore student to attend and invest in going to this event? Uh, Hannah, if you are a sophomore, then yes, if you're pre-med, I recommend going to this event. Last year, when I was there, we had people come in from Florida. Um, it was a different one where somebody it, the um, conference in Orlando. Somebody flew in from Illinois or Indiana, I believe. And so, I I would invest. There's nothing like being around other students who are on this path, and this conference is cool. But it, the UC Davis conference is huge. It has I think they're expecting forty five hundred people this year. The, the the AMSA conference will probably have three hundred, maybe four hundred there. Uh but the AMSA conference is pre-med. And and they focus on pre med. The UC Davis conference is pre health uh everything. So um I I would recommend going. So hopefully I see you there, Hannah. Sammy is asking, how large of a red flag is inconsistent volunteering? Good question. I've tried to keep it as consistent as possible, but work full time Monday through Friday, along with some course retakes, made it difficult to keep a three times a week schedule of volunteer work. Should I address this anywhere in my application or in the essays? So, Sammy, I think as long as it's consistent for the long run, Meaning you don't, some of the students that I've been working with and have talked to, they'll have shadowing and clinical experience their freshman year, their sophomore year of college, and then nothing their junior and senior year. That's a huge red flag. Um, but if you went from doing three days a week down to one day a week, and then you skipped a couple months, and then you came back and were back to one day a week. That to me is is still consistency in the long run, so I I think that is that is okay um, because when you're writing your dates on your application, if you have a month break in there or two month break, I wouldn't even put that as a break. I would just do whatever month year to whatever month year, as long as it's not a significant gap in time, and the the applications. Um, the application instructions may have some more specifics on what they would consider a gap and start stop dates, et cetera, but um, I would probably consider that just one continuous thing so when you're when you put that on your application the the way that it prints out and the way that it looks to the person reading it, they can't tell that there was some inconsistency in there. And they expect some inconsistency. Your job is to be a student. And the fact that you're working full-time as well, they take that into account. So I was speaking when I was at the UCF conference um, last, when was that? Back in February, um, the UCF Medical School Symposium, speaking to the Dean of Admissions there, he talked about that. We I was standing talking to him with another non-traditional student, actually the one that came down from Indiana, and and he was saying, look, we, especially for non-trads, we understand your commitment. Whether that's because of medical school, whether or not medical school, whether that's because of work or kids or family obligations, whatever it may be. There are a lot of different reasons for why there's some inconsistency there. So it's okay and it is expected. All right, so the next question here, another one from Suzanne. I did shadowing during the summer between junior and senior in high school. Can I put that in the application or is it all activities uh, or should all the activities be during undergrad college time? So the general rule of thumb is anything before college doesn't count. Um, With the exception of anything that you continue into college, then I would put the start date before college. But if you had something like you're saying here between junior and senior year, if that was an isolated thing, I wouldn't put it in your extracurricular list. The very common thing that pops up a lot on the pre-health advisors um, page for new pre-health advisors, they ask that a lot. So good question. That um, is important. All right, so Aaron, two questions on shadowing. Does working closely with physicians and residents over two years make up for limited to no shadowing experience? So what does working closely with physicians and residents mean? And, And can you take some of that time and just call it shadowing? Can, can do you can you afford to to just call it something what it isn't? So that that would be the first question. The can cl- clinical experience, depending on what it is, can clinical experience make up for shadowing? The answer is no. Shadowing it, shadowing is one of those things that we say there's no check boxes, right? There's no check boxes to get into medical school. But you need to do some things to show that you're well-rounded, and to show more specifically that you know what you're getting yourself into. And yes, being around physicians and residents is great and helps you do that. So that's why I'm I'm like, well, just call that shadowing. Um, a lot of nurses ask, "Can I not do shadowing?" I I work around physicians all day, and the answer is no. You need to shadow. Working with physicians as a nurse or a PA or an NP is different than shadowing a physician where you're not working, your brain's in a totally different spot, and your job is to to soak it all in to see what that's like. So that would be my, my first answer there. I shadowed physicians from multiple specialties as part of my paramedic clinical rotations. Can I count that as shadowing on the work activity session? Uh, definitely that is that's shadowing you can definitely count that a lot of people do that a PA that I worked with um, NP excuse me that I worked with last year on her applications did a ton of shadowing through her NP uh, schooling and she counted all of that as shadowing so you definitely can all right Jen I found your question here Um, What is your best advice for older students balancing family, work, and school loads and not getting discouraged when life gets in the way? Explaining withdrawal in a semester or stumbling grades? So two questions here. How do you, or what's the advice for staying motivated? And really the answer is, you just do. If you understand why it is that you are on this path, then everything else, is they're just distractions. Now, family obviously is not a distraction, but they are there to support you. And you have to understand that there are gonna be times when they take over, and you're gonna have to put down the schoolwork. And that's okay. You can't let that bother you. You just go with it. You, you need to be okay with it, But then when it's time to be on with your schoolwork and MCAT prep, you be on with it. Turn off your phone, turn off all the distractions and study and be efficient with your time so that you can utilize that time to the best of your ability, knowing, keeping in your mind why you're doing it, why you wanna be a physician, then I think that helps you stay motivated and on this path go listen to um a great TED talk by Simon Sinek. Yeah, that's his name, Simon Sinek. Um the power of why I think is or something like that. It's called um great discussion, great TED talk all about why. And I I think I did a podcast episode a while ago all about knowing your why. And so knowing your why really helps you get through these moments where you get discouraged and life gets in the way. Because life's going to get in the way. Life always gets in the way. And it's just something you just have to be okay with. All right? And so the second question here, how do you explain uh, a withdrawal in a semester or stumbling grades? You just do. You're just honest and you own it. Uh, Withdrawing a semester is typically pretty easy to explain um in your personal statement maybe give it a line if you think it's important if if you have a trend of great grades and you have a withdrawal for a semester and then you come back and you still have good grades i probably wouldn't even mention it it may come up in an interview um it may come up in a secondary essay but uh, if that's the only thing withdrawing a semester a lot of students do it they get have illnesses they have deaths in the family uh they get burnt out whatever it is a lot of students take breaks. Um, Stumbling grades is a little bit different. If you have a a pretty bad negative trend in your grades, then that's something to look at. Uh, And definitely something that may need some explanation. A lot of secondary essays will allow you to explain some poor grades. So something to think about there. All right. Let's see what else. Lots of great questions. So If you're listening to this podcast live, I am actually on Facebook live recording this, saying hello to all of the Facebook um, hangout members and the medical school headquarters page followers that are watching this. And so I am going to hopefully be doing a lot more of these Facebook lives. So if you are not part of the Facebook community yet, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group and click on the Join button or Request to Join button and come join us. There's almost 2,800 members in there now. We're growing pretty quick. It's pretty awesome. And hopefully you can partake in this in the future. All right. Lauren, do you have an episode that talks about how to ask for shadowing opportunities? There are a few places I would love to shadow but I don't know what the most appropriate way to ask is. Do I show up in person, write a letter, or an email? Um, So I don't know if I have a specific episode off the top of my head that talks about how to go about shadowing and requesting shadowing. Uh, I think it's something we talked about before, but I'm glad to talk about it again because it's a very important topic. And really the answer comes down to whatever you're most comfortable with um but a lot of students will just send emails um i recommend making phone calls so that you're actually talking to somebody and i recommend trying to go to more of a private practice in your area and calling and asking for the office manager don't ask for the physician ask for the office manager and just explain say hey i'm lauren I'm a pre-med student, and I'd love to shadow Dr. Smith because of XYZ. Have a reason why you're specifically asking to shadow that physician. When you ask more specifically in that way, um, it makes it sound more personal and not that you're just going down a list trying to get anybody and everybody. When in reality, that is what you're doing, but try to make it a little bit more personal. Um, So I would recommend phone calls, but you can email as well. Um, And you can show up in person, definitely. Showing up in person, is much harder to say no and to shoo you out of the office. So shadowing is very important. One student that I worked with last year, she had to call a bunch of places. She was trying to get into a pediatric clinic and she called and called and called. And you get a lot of no's, but it it only takes one person to say yes. All right, Sammy. How should I approach the planned activity section of my application? What are AdComs really looking for in this area? I, I love when students ask, "What are they looking for?" Um, they're not looking for anything. They just want you to put in your answers. Um, so, the planned activity section is the part of the application where you're telling the admissions committee, "Here's what I'm planning on doing um, from when I turn in my application into the future," and so. What are you planning on doing? Uh, are you planning on traveling abroad? Are you planning on doing research? Are you planning on being an EMT, shadowing, whatever it is? Um, put that. Don't, uh, don't, try to, don't try to put something there that you think the adcoms want to see. That never works. Just be honest and, and put what, uh, put what uh, you need to put there. Um Sammy we love you Dr. Ray. We I love you guys too. Uh I love doing this um every day four podcasts a week, soon to be more hopefully and more Facebook lives and more YouTubes and and and. So yeah, I really I really appreciate the love. So, thank you. Uh Arlene Arlene I I read Arlene's personal statement the other day. Thank you Arlene for sending that to me. Is the is there a better way to know if schools will accept other types of letters of rec besides professors by contacting each school personally? Um, Other than contact. (laughs) So no. The way to find out about letters of rec, if you're a non-traditional student, so so let's start at the beginning. If you're a traditional student, you're in medical, you're in undergrad, look at the MSAR, look at the school's website, look at the college information book for DO schools, and look at the letters of recommendations that they request or require. A lot of them will ask for three letters, typically two science, one non-science professor. Some will say you can send a a shadowing, a physician's letter, something else. If you're a non-traditional student, you've been out of school more than three to five years, a lot of schools will be okay with you not sending academic letters. They understand that if you go back and try to get a letter of recommendation from your science professor who you had 6 years ago, they they understand, the medical schools understand that those letters probably aren't going to be very good and aren't going to be a good representation of who you are. So, it's okay to reach out to the medical school and just say, hey, uh, I'm a non-traditional student, been out of school X number of years. Um, I was hoping that I could use a letter from my research PI, from my um, work supervisor, and from my volunteer supervisor in place of letter one, letter two, letter three. Be very specific about who you're asking letters from and replacing with. So that's it's a... um, It's a drawn-out process, but it's uh, very much needed. So hopefully that helps you, Arlene. Uh, MJ, how varied should shadowing and volunteering be? I expect to be working as a pharmacy technician at the local teaching hospital by the end of next month, so I would have access to a wide variety of specialties. Is that something I should zero in on, or would reaching outside the hospital be something I should do as well? So... The A lot of advice that I see thrown around typically by students is shadow a lot of different specialties. And I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I don't think it's mandatory either. Um, I very much prefer quality over quantity. So if you find a physician that you connect with very well, I would stick with that doctor because those connections can go pretty far. Um, but if if you really are uh, get interested in one specific type of disease or type of patient and you're interested in checking that out, then try to go find a specialist that shadows uh to shadow that that treats that disease. Um there's nothing wrong with with seeing lots of different things. Um where you need to be careful with, and actually the specialty stories from uh that goes out today as we're releasing this podcast um, the specialty stories is with an OBGYN who talked about wanting to be a pediatrician. She went into medical school wanting to be a pe- pediatrician, first two years wanting to be a pediatrician, third year pediatrics rotation, hated pediatrics. And so now she's an OBGYN. And so... A lot of thinking is that, oh, I should get a ton of clinical experience now or a lot of different specialties under my belt shadowing as a pre-med, that way I'll have a better idea once I hit medical school. Um, and I don't necessarily agree with that. I agree with it to a small extent. But there's a huge difference between shadowing a specific specialty and actually Doing that specialty as a medical student and then a resident, um, what you find you like watching as a as a shadow is very different once you're elbow deep into um something um in the operating room, literally elbow deep and so just as as a pre-med student, having that experience doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find the love of your life specialty wise. Um, through all of that shadowing. Sammy, non-trad, what will make me more well-rounded in their eyes? I have a lot of life experiences, but I want to know what to <laughs> include, exclude. Uh, impossible to answer, Sammy. You as a non-trad make, you are unique as a non-trad. And so just finding those things that you're most passionate about writing about and talking about, that's what you should include. D, is it okay to ask for a recommendation letter? If I only shadowed the physician for a few hours, no, I would not ask for a recommendation letter for somebody that you only shadowed for a few hours. Letters of recommendation should come from somebody that you know well and they know you well, which is another, going back a couple questions ago, another reason to stick with one person for a long time instead of hopping around two different specialties. Um they should be able to write a very strong letter of recommendation, which means they know who you are. Um, how long should the shadowing be before I can ask for a letter, uh, for a recommendation letter? Um, there's, I, it's impossible to answer. Just as, as long as it needs to be for you to have a great connection with them, uh, that he or she can write a very strong letter of recommendation for you. Um, Is it okay to ask for the letter of recommendation immediately after shadowing or go back to the physician after two years when I'm actually applying to medical school? So again, it goes back to the connection that you have with that physician. If you shadowed him or her two years ago, but you've stayed in contact and, and they know where you're at in the process and you have a great relationship and you say, hey, Dr. Smith, can you write a strong letter of recommendation for me? And they say, sure. Great. Take it. Uh, if they if they hedge and be like, eh, may, maybe not, it won't be the best, I would pass on it. If you shadowed somebody two years ago and you haven't talked to them for two years, I would not go back and ask that person for a letter of recommendation. All right, so let's do one more question here. Um, Hamza, Hamza, uh, uh, am I hurting myself by wanting... To apply only to DO just because I like OMM, OMT, I think it's cool to learn and kind of a bang for the buck. But I also feel like if I only apply DO, i would be missing out on a lot of great schools. Um, that will make me a doctor at the end of the day, which is the main goal. By the way, you're a cool dude. <laughs> Thank you. I'm a cool dude. Um so Hamza there are a lot of students who only apply to DO schools for that specific reason they like OMM they like OMT they like the more holistic I, the holistic approach to medicine that uh, DOs spout off um i i don't agree if if you've listened to me for a while if you haven't i don't agree with the DO philosophy of of how they treat holistically um, I think all physicians, all good physicians, MD or DO, treat patients holistically. Um, and so I, I don't necessarily agree with that that marketing angle that they have. Uh, but OMM, OMT is great. When I was practicing, I worked with a DO and a lot of patients would come to me and say, hey, do you do manipulation? I'm like, nope, I'm not a DO. Um, so I think it's great. And a lot of students do it. You're not hurting yourself. At the end of the day, like you said, you're a physician. It's, it's you who makes the ultimate difference between being a good physician, a great physician, an okay physician or a bad physician. It's you, it's your attitude, it's your skills, your knowledge, your, um, uh, your effort. Couldn't think of that word for a minute. Your effort that you put into everything and you, that you do in life. That's what makes you a great physician, not the school. So find a school, a DO school that does that for you, um, that, that helps support you to be a great medical student so that you can one day be a great physician. And don't worry that it's a, a DO school. You can, you can do anything that you want as a DO. All right, tons of questions. I hope that was helpful for you, useful for you. I had a blast doing it. If you aren't a member of the Hangout, it's free, Medical medicalschoolhqnet slash group. It's the pre-med Hangout on Facebook. You can just search for it. I would love to have you join the group and you'll be notified when we do these future Facebook Lives and more Q&A stuff and, and everything else that we have to offer. So that what we're going to do. If you got some enjoyment out of this podcast today, I regret politely request that you go leave us a rating and review in iTunes, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes will take you there. It helps me feel better about myself and uh, it helps us. It helps other students realize that this podcast is hopefully good for them to listen to as well. I hope you have a great week. Don't forget to come back again next week. If you do not subscribe, if you do not subscribe to this podcast, if you're just listening to this through a web browser on your phone or web browser on your computer, Go get the um, the podcast app on iOS or Podcast Addict is what I recommend on Android and subscribe to make it easy for you to listen to this podcast every week. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here at the Medical School Headquarters and the Pre-Med Years Podcast.